I'm going to read verses 1 through 11 this morning, though our primary focus will be on verses 1 and 2. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ." and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Beloved, as we come to this passage, I want you to know this is one of the most critical passages not only here in the book of Philippians, but in all of the Bible. And it is critical because of what it teaches and because of the days and times in which we live. Spiritually speaking, we are living in a time when being discerning, being discerning about the gospel being discerning about true Christianity is low on the priority list. Actually, it is often looked down upon. It's seen as a negative. It's seen as being unloving. It's seen as even being divisive. And what is actually promoted too often and more acceptable is that of tolerance. And I want you to understand as we approach this passage that that kind of mindset is just the opposite of the Apostle Paul here in this passage. But understand as we look at this that this didn't just start with Paul. You could go back to the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels. You could go back in the Gospels and look at the ministry of John the Baptist and you'll see both of those men in their ministry doing the same thing that the Apostle Paul is doing here. That we're going to be focusing on this morning. Warning fellow believers of counterfeit Christianity. Whether what Paul is going to be sharing with them in the whole passage that we just read here in verse 11 are three critical truths that you need to know and you need to understand and you need to believe and you need to accept and taking into your heart. The first one that we're going to be looking at this morning is that he's going to be teaching here is what is counterfeit Christianity? What is counterfeit Christianity? Then after he answers that question, he's going to then describe to us what is true Christianity. 
Once we know what is counterfeit, false Christianity, then we need to be aware more clearly of what is true Christianity. And then he follows that up and sharing his testimony. And in that testimony, he's then telling us how is it that one becomes a Christian? What is it that happens when someone becomes a Christian? So hopefully from those three truths that we just walk through, you understand why this passage is so critical for us in the day and time in which we live. Now, if you go back to our passage in verse 1, all of these truths, these three truths that Paul is going to be sharing with us about Christianity, he's doing it for two primary reasons, and he gives them to us here in verse 1. The first reason why it is, he's going to explain to them what it is that is false Christianity, counterfeit Christianity, is because he wants it to be a source of praise for them, for those who are true Christians. And secondly, he's doing this because he wants it to be a safeguard of protection for them as Christians. Notice again in verse 1, we see here, he says, My brethren, finally, that is so then, here's what I want to talk to you about, Rejoicing in the Lord. And what follows after that, he's giving them why it is they should be rejoicing in the Lord. Because of the salvation that God has provided them. So as you understand your salvation, as you understand that you are a part of true Christianity, you're going to see that it is by grace alone and what God has done in your life, and that should cause you and be a source for you, notice, to be rejoicing in the Lord. You're rejoicing in Him and who He is and what it is that He has done for you. So it's a source of praise. But secondly, again, notice, He says... To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. That is, it is a safety net. It serves as a safeguard of protection for you. That's why Paul is going to share these truths with them. It was no trouble for Paul to write the same things again to them. It was no trouble for him to go back over the gospel with them. It was no trouble for him to walk them through again and warn them again about counterfeit Christianity, about false Christianity. It was no problem for him to show them and share with them once again things that he had already taught them about what it is when someone is truly born again and they're a part of true Christianity. This was not a problem for Paul because Paul knew that this was a serious threat against the church. Because if you go back and read in the book of Acts and you follow the ministry of Paul, Paul had enemies. And these enemies liked to come behind Paul. And they like to enter into places. And they like to begin to teach things that went against true Christianity, that went against the true gospel. And he knew that it was having an impact at times, even on places where he had spent significant time ministering to them in the churches. In fact, just to remind you of this for just a moment, go over to the book of Galatians. Just go a, a couple of books back. Go to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians... Paul is having to address this to the churches that are throughout this area of Galatia. 
Because these churches are under attack. If you go back to Galatians chapter 1, you'll notice something that similar to what he said in Philippians 3.1, that it's no trouble for him to write these things again. Look at verse 9 of chapter 1. He says, as we have said before, so I'm going to say it again now. Look, he's saying, I have said this to you on more than one occasion, but I'm going to say it to you again now. If any man is preaching to you a gospel that's contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Which again lets you know that there were some people that had come into the churches at Galatia that were preaching another gospel that is one of a different kind. And he said, I'm going to tell you once again. I'm going to warn you. But look back up at verse 6. And just notice the responses of Paul here. Verse 6 says, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at you that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Here he, there he's amazed at them. We'll go over to chapter 4 for a moment. In verse 11... And here he says, I fear for you. He starts out writing his letter. He says, I'm, I'm amazed at you that you're deserting the gospel that you heard, that you received. And now as he continues on, he says, I, I, I'm fearing for you that perhaps I labored over you in vain. I'm fearful for you in that regard. Look down in verse 20 of chapter 4 of Galatians. He says, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. He's amazed, he's fearful, he's perplexed for them. Why? Because those coming in preaching another gospel, those coming in preaching, saying this is a part of true Christianity and the people are listening to this and they're entertaining this and they're open to this. They're not outright rejecting this as they should. So Paul knows this is true and he's concerned about this to the church at Philippi as we go back to our text in Philippians chapter 3. So he's wanting it in, on one hand to be a source of praise for them, but on the other hand, he is wanting it to be a safeguard, a protection for them. And that is my hope for you today, beloved, especially for you as believers, that as we go through this passage today, and even as we go through the, the rest of the passage uh, over the next week or two, that it will cause you to praise the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord, but also it will cause you to be discerning. It will be a safeguard, a protection for you. Let's go back to our text. And here in Philippians 3, and let's just start with today by looking at the question, the answer that Paul gives us in regards to what is counterfeit Christianity and really why is it such a threat? Why is it such a threat that Paul's going to say some of the words that he says here in verse 2? Paul doesn't mix words here. He refers to them as dogs. He refers to them as evil workers. 
He refers to them as a false circumcision. And beloved, he doesn't mix words because it's startling to realize just how much of a threat this is to the true church, to the true Christianity. Now when you look at that last little phrase, the false circumcision, that is what indicates for us and helps us to understand what it is that Paul was having to address. What it is he wanted to make sure that the people there at Philippi didn't buy into. That they didn't open their doors to it. They didn't open their hearts to it. They would not tolerate this in their own understanding of the gospel. Because when he refers there to the false circumcision, and in verse 3 he refers to them, that is himself and the rest of them, as the true circumcision, he's letting you know that what was being taught here and what was happening, and this is what happened in every, pretty much almost every stop that Paul had, or, or most of the stops that he had, is these Judaizers would come on the scene. And when they would come on the scene, they would teach something that was very, very close to the true gospel. So close that you would be tempted to say, well, they were believers, but they weren't. Because these Judaizers would show up and here's what they would teach this false circumcision. They would teach in regards to the person of Jesus that Jesus was the Messiah, he was fully God, and he was fully man. He was the God-man. And we would say amen to that. They would teach that Jesus died on the cross and they would teach that he died on the cross for our sins. And we would say amen to that. They would even teach that the, a person had to put faith in Jesus. They had to believe in the right person of Jesus. They had to believe in that provision of Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross. They, they would say, you have to believe those things. And we would say amen to that as well. But they didn't stop there. They said also for you to receive the full benefit of the person and the provision of Jesus, believing in Jesus, that is, turning and putting your faith in Jesus alone was not enough. You had to also be circumcised. And if you weren't circumcised, they would say you weren't saved. And you weren't a part of true Christianity. Let's give you an example of this. If you will, go back in your Bible to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. And in verse 1, we see that some men came down from Judea. And here's what they were teaching the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they were adding to it. That unless you are circumcised, and then they would follow in keep saying, trying to keep the law of Moses, unless you're doing all these things, you are not saved. And this is coming to the church at Antioch here in Acts 15, which is predominantly 
a Gentile church, which means most of the people sitting in that church at that time, when they're coming and speaking this to the brethren, they hadn't been circumcised. And so what they were telling them is, you are not a part of true Christianity. You have not been saved until you are circumcised, which means though you're sitting out here and though you believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man and though you believe he is the Messiah and though you believe that he went to the cross and on that cross he died for your sins and that, that you had to have your sins paid for and though you believe that he was raised from the dead on the third day, you can believe all of that and you need to, but that's not enough. You also have to be circumcised. And then you will receive the salvation. Then you will receive the forgiveness of your sins. And brother, what I want you to understand as we think about this is that this is just as much of a serious threat today as it was in Paul's day. It's not that people are going around teaching that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved. But understand what Paul is saying. Paul is saying if someone is presenting a gospel, that when you summarize that gospel, that gospel is not saying this, that you are going to be saved by grace alone, through this repentant faith alone, in Christ alone, that person is teaching another gospel. And a gospel that will not save a soul. It won't save anyone. And that's what he's warning them about. You say, well, does that happen today? Absolutely it happens today. Beloved, there are, there are folks out there today that would teach the right person of Jesus. Okay, they're not going to deny the deity of Jesus. They're not going to deny the humanity of Jesus. They're not going to deny he was the Messiah of, the, of Israel. They're not going to deny that. They're not going to deny that he went to the cross and on that cross he was shedding his blood, dying for our sins. They're not going to deny that he was raised literally from the dead on the third day. And they're not even going to deny that you have to put some faith in Christ and what it is that he did. But they won't stop there. They will say you also have to be baptized as an infant in order to have your original sins washed away. Or they may say, you have to be baptized as an adult for the remission of your sins. Or you're not forgiven and made right with God. You have to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins. That's another gospel. You have to take of the sacraments in order to be forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with God. Or even... Beloved, if you sit down and talk to somebody, if you begin to ask them about their salvation, you ask them about the gospel and ask them about being accepted by God, beloved, if they begin to drift into their life, that is, they begin to drift into, well, you know, I've tried hard to live a good life and to be a good person and to, to do right and follow God's word, beloved, that has no standing whatsoever with God. It is all based on the work of Christ. Now, those who've been truly born again want to live that life. But this is what Paul is warning against. And notice, as you go back to Philippians 3, you can tell he is serious about this because he says the word beware there three times. 
Beware, beware, beware. That is, be on the lookout. And I'm sure all of you are like me in that if you've ever come up to a yard and they have a sign that's posted that says, Beware of the dog. And if they have more than one sign posted, if they have signs posted all around that fence, I get on alert that if I'm trying to get to the door, there's probably a dog here I don't want to mess with. And this is what Paul's doing for them. He's saying, beware of this. It's coming. It's going to come against you. You say, well, but why is Paul making such a fuss? Why is he using such strong words here? Well, let's look back at verse 2, and you'll find the answer to that in the descriptions that he gives. And in those descriptions, he's going to be telling you some things in regards to counterfeit Christianity. And the first thing he's going to tell you is just how dangerous it is. How dangerous it is. He tells you that, and when he says, Beware of the dogs. Now, when he says the dogs here, he's not referring to what we would typically have today at our house. He's not referring to having a pet dog that many of you may have at your own home or you keep in your, your, your backyard. In the days in which Paul is writing, there were wild dogs that would basically roam around as scavengers in the cities, feeding on garbage, and at times they would be attacking people. And this is the picture he's giving to them. Beware of this teaching that is coming because it is dangerous. Just like you would say, beware of the dogs. You would say, okay, dangerous somewhere around me. And he's saying, this is dangerous stuff. Beware of it. And just so you understand about the dogs, that the dogs are outside of the kingdom of God. If you will, for just a moment, turn to the very last book of the Bible. Turn to the book of Revelation. And turn to Revelation. Turn to the last chapter, to Revelation chapter 22. And notice something about the dogs. In the end of chapter 21, we see this beautiful new Jerusalem coming down. The new heaven and a new earth, this wonderful river of the water of life in verse 1 of chapter 22. And he's talking about those that were going to be there and be a part of this and those who will not. Pick it up in verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Practices lying. Again, the dogs there is not referring to actual literal dog. He's not saying that dogs are going to be outside. He's saying here those that he's referring to as the dogs is those that are teaching lies, those that are teaching lies about the gospel. They're dangerous. They're deadly. But now let's go back to Philippians 3. As we look at the second description he gives us here, I want you to see it's not only dangerous, 
Now listen carefully to this. It is demonic. It is demonic. Verse 2, Beware of the dogs and beware of the evil workers. Now, I'm not saying that all those that believe this, I'm not saying they're demon-possessed. I'm saying that this teaching that was being perpetrated by the Judaizers that was denying that a person was saved by faith alone in Christ alone, that that is demonic. This is what the devil wants to do. He wants to pervert the gospel. Look, beloved, the devil is just as happy with someone being involved in something that identifies as a part of Christianity that's not a part of Christianity. That doesn't bother him at all. He's just as pleased with that as he is with someone who's in some type of satanic cult that's going about doing some things that are wild and crazy. He's just as content with someone being a part of false Christianity thinking they're a part of true Christianity because of the demonic teachings that's distorting the gospel as he is someone that would be involved in the Muslim faith. Beware. Notice he calls them evil workers. Evil workers. That what they are doing is actually evil. It's demonic. Just to help you understand some of this, go back now to 2 Corinthians. And let's start in chapter 10. We'll look at chapter 10 for a little bit and then chapter 11. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Just to remind you that our warfare is spiritual. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, Paul says, Now I, Paul, myself, urge you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold towards you when absent, I ask you that when I am present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience, whoever your obedience is, whenever your obedience is complete. Notice what he's saying there. Our weapons of warfare are divinely powerful. What are we trying to do? We're trying to destroy fortresses. We're trying to destroy speculations. Every lofty thing that's raised up against the knowledge of God, we're trying to tear it down. We're trying to destroy those things because we want every idea, every thought that a person has, he says, to be taken captive to obedience to Christ. You see, that's the war. This is what we're about. And Paul is saying this. And now notice now, follow along, go over to chapter 11 in 2 Corinthians. Because he has a concern for them. He says, beginning in verse 1, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness, but indeed you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. But I am afraid 
that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you bear this beautifully. He's concerned about them as he was the churches of Galatia, as he is the church at Philippi. Now drop down to verse 12. But what I am doing, I will continue to do so that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Therefore, it is not surprising if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, whose end will be according to their deeds. Notice what Paul says here. They are deceitful workers disguising themselves as though they are there representing Christ when in reality they are not. Who are they actually there more representing? They're representing Satan. He disguises himself as an angel of light. He wants it to seem like it's true and like it's good and like it's right. That's why I say when we look back at Philippians 3 when Paul says beware the evil workers we see there, beloved. This is, this is demonic. Now let me remind you of this. You don't need to turn there but over in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1 the apostle Paul wrote there but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith pursue their attention, pursuing their attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Putting their attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Brother, we are called to be discerning here. So understand when those, when, when the, the teachings that go against being saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Understand, beloved, that is, the, if it goes against that, it is the doctrines of demons. So this, this is why Paul is so serious about this, because he knows how dangerous and how demonic it is. But thirdly, you go back to Philippians 3 for a moment. He says, beware of the false circumcision. What I want you to see from that description when he says the false circumcision is that this is deceiving. It's not just dangerous. It's not just demonic. It's deceiving to people. As we just read a moment ago there in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen, Paul referred to those that were coming around as false apostles. In 1 John 4, verse 1, he refers to some there as false prophets. In Galatians 2, in verse 4, he refers to some there as false brethren. They're false. And brother, this is why this is so dangerous. Because it's deceiving people into thinking that they are right with God. 
It's deceiving people into thinking that they will spend eternity with God. When we, th- when we hear on the news in the years past how part of this extreme uh, Muslim teachings that those men that went as terrorists and they go and they're suicide bombers and they're willing to give up their life because they're, they're promised uh, these wonderful things on the other side of death. And we listen to that and we say, oh, how uh, awful that is. And they're against, these people have been deceived. But understand, beloved, there are a whole host of people who quote-unquote identify as a part of Christianity that are deceived. They are deceived. They, they think they're right with God. But if they're not coming to God on the basis of, of, of a turning and putting their faith in Christ alone, if they're saying there has to be something else, please understand, they are deceived. You say, why would you be so strong about that? Well, look back. Galatians chapter 5 for just a moment. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, let me begin reading in verse 2. And again, what Paul's addressing here is the same issue he's addressing in Philippians chapter 3. Those that were teaching rightly about the person of Jesus, rightly about Jesus dying on the cross, rightly about Jesus being raised from the dead on the third day, they didn't have any problem with that, rightly that you had to have faith in Jesus, but they were teaching that was not enough. They were teaching you had to be circumcised. And here's what Paul is warning them about, verse 2. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, that if you choose to go this path and say, I have to be circumcised, you choose to add something else than by faith alone in Christ alone, he's saying, please understand, Christ will be of no benefit to you at all. That is, everything that Jesus accomplished on the cross, none of it applies to you. None of it comes to you. If you choose to believe this and go this path, that's what he's saying. He says, again, I testify to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. But it's basically saying, you're putting yourself, you're staying under the curse. You, you haven't been removed. But look at verse 4. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. For we, we, notice, again, notice the differences here. Notice verse 2. Notice verse 4. He's saying you. That they, there were some of them there in these churches in Galatia he's speaking to. You who are entertaining this, you who are beginning to move in this direction to thinking there has to be more than faith in Christ alone, understand that you do. You're moving yourself outside of the grace of God. You're moving yourself outside of the benefits of Christ. You are severing yourself from Christ. But for we, notice he switches there to we, through the Spirit, by faith, Awaiting for the hope of righteousness. It's amazing when you think about this, beloved. Paul says you have been severed from Christ. 
What's interesting about that is because what people are being told is this. They're being told that going beyond faith alone and Christ alone, whatever that may be, whether it's baptism as an infant, baptism as an adult, or baptism in certain kinds of ways, or through the sacraments, or through their good life, whatever it may be, what they're believing and what they're being told is that that somehow helps connect them to the person of Christ to receive all of the wonderful benefits of the righteousness of Christ that will close us and receiving the forgiveness of our sins. They're saying, this is what helps attaches you. And what Paul is saying, no, actually what it does is it severs you. It's cutting you off. It's giving you no hope. And notice something. Go down to verse 7 in Galatians 5. He says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Verse 8. This persuasion did not come from Him who calls you. That is, what you're hearing what they were hearing that was adding circumcision, adding something else to it, he's saying that didn't come from God. That didn't come from Him. So, beloved, one of the main reasons why Paul is speaking so strongly here in Galatians and so strongly back in our text in Philippians chapter 3 it's because he wants it to be a safeguard of protection for the people. And I want it to be a safeguard of protection for you. And maybe, just maybe, for some of you here today, this may be startling to you. This may be just suddenly striking you in a very vivid way. And may I remind you that the Apostle Paul understands that? As we will see when we go back to Philippians 3 and we look at it in the future, we will see that the Apostle Paul understood. He understood what it was to put faith in yourself or put faith in some other things. He was counting on a lot of things. And Paul was a man who was deceived. He was a zealous man. He was a passionate man. He was a religious man. And he was passionate about God. But he was a deceived man. Until the Lord Jesus Christ startled him on that road. When he was walking to Damascus to persecute the church. And when Jesus showed up on the scene and Jesus spoke truth to him, Paul recognized, as we're going to see there in Philippians 3, he recognized the foolishness of his life, the foolishness of all of his religion, the foolishness of everything that he was counting on, and he realized that all of it was nothing but garbage. It was getting him nowhere near God. In fact, it was moving him away from God. It was cutting him off from God. And he had to abandon all of it and just come and plead and come and put his faith in Christ alone. And maybe for some of you here today, God has stolen you in that way. You've been relying on something else, something more. You wanted to contribute to it. You wanted to contribute some little speck to your salvation. Beloved, you contribute nothing. Jesus did it all. 
You just need to put your faith, come running, but just put your faith in Him. Trust in that life He lived. Trust in His death on the cross for your sins. Trust in that resurrection that God raised Him from the dead on the third day. Put your faith in Him. And I understand as we go through this, you think about some of this, to, it may seem somewhat harsh, maybe even somewhat narrow. And in a sense, I want you to understand, beloved, it is narrow. It's Jesus himself said over in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, narrow is the way that leads to life. And how many find it? Few. Many. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many find it. Many. Oh, beloved, if the Lord is dealing with your heart this morning about your need of Christ, your need of abandoning something you've been trusting in, you have been relying on all your life as a part of your salvation, beloved, here's the good news as I said about the Apostle Paul. If you will abandon all that and just come putting your faith in Christ and in Christ alone, God will, will forgive you. He receives you. He welcomes you. He embraces you. You will be a child of His. You will be a part, as Paul says there in Philippians 3, of the true circumcision. And I would plead with you to do that. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.